a lot of brothers, you know, at this time, it would be like, you know, my friends, big brothers and cousins, going to jail, you know, getting killed uh, in the game. You know what I'm saying? Selling dope. I'm like, these brothers are brilliant though. You know what I'm saying? These are some of the best business owners, you know, business people I know, you know, they hustle night and day, they're smart, they got, you know, their distribution set up, they got networks that, you know. Supply chain. Bro, it's a, <laughs> it's a very serious business, right? And so what is it on the business side then that makes, you know, these white folks over in this neighborhood, you know, five miles away, just so comfortable and no issues going on whatsoever. And I know they're not no smarter and don't hustle no harder than anybody, than the folks I know over here. Right. And it came that what it came out to me was people don't like it, it felt like there was this secret language being spoken about how to actually build wealth. Everything is a go. What's good, family? Welcome to another episode of the Wealth Blueprint series where we have conversations at the intersection of finance and family. I'm one of your hosts, D. Johns. Philip Washington Jr. Today, as you have guessed it, we got an amazing guest because what else would there be? We got the good brother, Sean Tate in the building. How are you, my brother? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Very glad to be here with your brother today, man. Appreciate it. Welcome to the show, man. Thank For those you. that don't know you, which there may be a couple in our audience that, <laughs> that don't know you, how do you, how do you present yourself? How do you introduce yourself to others? Well, I'm Sean, first and foremost. I'm Sean Tate, just me. First and foremost, uh, but from there, um, I'm a father of two wonderful boys, uh, married to my wife for 15 years now and going strong, uh, 14 years, coming up on 15, <laughs> coming up on 15, you know, we got to do the big trip for the 15th, so that's mm, coming nice. up next year. Um, I, I am an attorney. I focus on real estate and business. And about five years ago, after doing my stint in big law, I started my own practice and so I have been running that practice for five years now and grown it from, you know, just me to a uh, viable business with, uh, with seven attorneys working under me that do all the day-to-day -day work. And uh, we focus again on, on business and real estate transactions, uh, deal-making, essentially, helping people to grow wealth is really what my firm is about. Uh, so uh, I'm excited to share more about my story and, and do everything we can to continue to help brothers like us to grow and succeed out here. Absolutely, man. Sure. So you, you're, you're definitely in the right place on the right platform. Uh, the obvious thing for me is that accent isn't from here. So let's, no. talk, let's talk about where it's home, how'd you grow up? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, so I'm from outside of Chicago. I would normally say I'm from Chicago, but people from Chicago will beat me up for that. You know what I'm saying? You can't say you're from Chicago if you're not like from the city. You I know, get you got to be from the south side, maybe the west side, but uh, I'm from the south, south, south suburbs, an uh, area called uh, Country Club Hills. Uh, it's also Markham down there that I lived uh, in Hazelcrest. And so, um, the you crest. Know. Oh, y'all don't say that? Nah, it's just, it's, I don't even think it's got a name, man. The only, only place down there that a lot of people might know is Harvey. You know what I'm saying? Harvey's another another south suburb out there, but they're all within maybe five miles of each other. And um, so I kind of grew up on what I would describe as uh, the cusp of where, you know, uh, kind of where the suburbs began. You gotcha. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Where the city ends and the suburbs begin. And so you saw a lot of families like ours in, in, in those spaces folks that, you know, came from the hood for my mom, came from the west side of Chicago um, and made her way down there, got her first little apartment down there and then was able to work her way up as a, as a, as a, you know, as a secretary and mm -hmm. then as a, you know, executive assistant to be able to buy her own home there. 
um, and, and raised me there, right? Because she didn't want me to come up in the same neighborhoods that she had come up in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's where I spent the first 17 years of my life. Mm. Um, is it, is out that way, and and you know, always the goal, which I learned from my mother for first and foremost, was to to use wealth, whatever that number looks like. Not saying wealth, like you gotta be rich and wealthy, but you know, using your money to be able to create a better scenario for yourself and for your family. Um, you know, she taught me that, mm-hmm. you know, um, like I said, she was the one to, to save up and get that first house. I don't know nobody else in our immediate family that was doing anything close to that, you know, right. at that time. Uh, and so she also made sure that, you know, I went to, uh, to decent schools, you know, uh, I'll say once I got to high school for sure, uh, you know, when I, when I went to high school, we, I, I had a choice to kind of go to the local high school or go to a little private school that was maybe like 20, 30 minutes away. Mm. Um, we ain't really had no money to afford that school, right. uh, but we made it work. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I was a I was an actor as a kid, child actor. Oh, wow. And so yeah, I was, I've been hustling since I was eight, man. I've been, I've been getting to it since I was eight years old. And, uh, you know, use the money that I was able to make from doing commercials and, and, and voiceovers and things of that nature to, to, to fund my, uh, tuition, you hmm. know, at this, uh, at this school. Um, and, uh, you know, that really broadened my horizons further, gave me an opportunity to get exposed to, you know, people who were heading in different directions, you know, uh, where everybody is expected to go to college, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know? And so that was something that, um, I think was critical to me developing my perspective, you know, and ability to see myself as being able to go a little bit further, mm-hmm. you know, even than where my mom had gotten to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's where I'm from. Uh, you know, uh, one, one interesting thing about, about my upbringing that I think has had a big impact on how I've developed is, uh, you know, the, the neighborhood I grew up in, which again was called Hazelcrest, um, was also uh, a neighborhood that was at the same time we moved there experiencing a lot of white flight, right? I ain't gonna say it was my wow. fault personally, you know what I'm saying? I'm a pretty good kid, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but you know how that goes, yeah, you know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Like uh-huh. black folks get a little bit of money, you know, move to the suburb, close as they can get. Right. And, and I remember when we first moved there, it was like all oh, white folks on the block, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, okay, okay, you know, white people, cool, you know. Within three years, they were all gone, yeah. mm. all of them. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I didn't think much of it, you know, I made new friends, you know, whoever moved in, right? Um, the folks that tended to move into the neighborhood, um, you know, were folks that were similar. We're trying to make it out from wherever mm-hmm. they were, you know, before. Right. So, so the neighborhood, you know, frankly, uh, you know, it, it changed pretty quickly, you know, but during the time I was there. So, you know, it was a lot of gang activity, uh, you know, suburban gang activity, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, murders every day and nothing like that, but, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, some, some dysfunction that came along with all of that. Um, and some things I saw that, you know, just made me really wonder like, okay, so what happened, you know, what happened to the other people who were here? Not that they different or better in any way, but like, why did they all leave? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. then, and then seeing kind of the scenarios that some of my new friends were in and the directions they were heading in, you know, it was clearly very different, you know, than the kids that were there the first couple of years. And so as I, as I grew up, you know, and, and, and got into, you know, uh, high school and then college and started to kind of learn more about the area that I came from, uh, you know, what I discovered was that, uh, in the years just prior to us moving there and during that time was a time that they were tearing down all the projects 
in Chicago, yeah. right? And so- People which, getting pushed out. Exactly. So mm. people were getting pushed out from the inner city and, and from these projects into section eight housing, you know, that was being developed in the, you know, communities that I grew up in. Um, hmm. And so- That sounds very uh, similar. Keep going. I'm sure <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, it's not a, you know, yeah, yeah, it's not an original story, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It, you know, but, but at the time I didn't see it, but looking back, I said, oh, okay, so that's how that happened. You know what I mean? That's that's what white flight is. And I remember learning about that in college and then realizing like, okay, yeah, that was like, that was me. You know right. what I mean? That was yeah. the upgrading that I experienced. And so it really sparked something in me, you know, where, you know, seeing how, you know, the majority of my family was coming up at that time uh, on the West side of Chicago versus how I was coming up. And then how I was coming up versus how my new neighbors were. You know mm. what I'm saying? And, and just noticing the differences that came from uh, your educational background, mm -hmm. who your network was, and how your parents was getting down, you know, what they were trying to do with their lives. So- Let, let me yeah. ask you this, did, did the uh, the environment, as it changed over time, yeah. did you ever feel like it had more of a pull on you than mm -hmm. what was happening internal to your home? Like, was the, the, the environment pulling on you more influential? Sure, man, it pulled, it, it pulled, it, you know, it, it pulled me in a lot of ways. I, I'll say this, my mama didn't play, man. So, you know, she she didn't really let me get too far gotcha. out of pocket. You know what I'm saying? She didn't let me get too far out of pocket. And in fact, to be honest, and my my experience was, you know, other than, you know, the gangs and the and the pressure to join and the bullying because you didn't want to join and mm -hmm. and don't be a smart kid, you know, out here winning spelling bees and, and then on TV, oh Lord, you know what I'm saying? You can imagine what that was like, you know what right. I'm saying? Um mm -hmm. coming up around a lot of folks who you know, frankly, even though I didn't realize it at the time, I think we both knew on some level, they weren't moving to where I, I was moving. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And doing the kind of things I was doing. So it kind of made me a target, you know what I mean? In that yeah. environment. Uh, but at the same time, on the other side, it was good brothers that was like on my block, you know, friends that's close to me that protected me. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that showed me the game of life you know mm -hmm. how to how to stand up for myself how to handle situations that nobody thought i would be able to handle um you know how to how to show courage in the face of extreme adversity sure. you know um i learned that from my brothers that i still call my brothers today you know that 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 i grew up with there so you know there was always you know a, a negative and a positive side to it but you know, black love is is what it is, you know, and those are our our people and, and moments that stay with me today and have helped me to figure out how to navigate newer and bigger environments since then. It's the same skill set and it's the same couple of people. You know what I'm saying? Shout out Merrick, shout out Fernando, wherever y'all at, man. Love y'all, man. So, you know. That, that's what I was gonna follow up with, because a lot of a lot of a lot of what you were saying in my mind was like balance, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like I like, and I'm I'm asking both of y'all's opinion, but I feel like the most successful people from our culture, and, and I'm, I'm defining success as the ability to connect with both sides, mm -hmm. right? Because there's mm -hmm. some people from the culture that can only connect with white people with money. And they feel like they have to alienate themselves from right. the core mm -hmm. culture because, like, they don't fit in with white mentality, right? And mm -hmm. then you have those of our culture where they demonize money, you know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's not... Uh, part of the past experience, you know what I'm saying, uh, as a whole. So like, but but balance is being good on MLK Boulevard and 
in Highland Park. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. what, what are y'all's thoughts about that? Well, I mean, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head there, right? I mean, having that diversity of experience and seeing people coming up from so many different places prepares you, you know, for, for pretty much anything, you know what I mean? So, you know, my grandmother, um, you know, God rest her soul. She passed away about six months ago. Uh, she, she, uh, raised my mom and her three brothers and two sisters on the West side of Chicago. Uh, my grandmother, uh, ran a church out of the basement of her house for about 25 years. Hmm. Uh, she was like the one house on the block that nobody could hit. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't hit Johnny May house. You know what I'm saying? Everybody else, you never know what was going to happen over there. You know, and that's, that remains to this day. That, that block has not changed one iota, hmm. you know, since that time. Um, but, you know, I spent my summers there, you know, because mm -hmm. my mom was working full time, yeah. you know, in extra time and overtime, every bit of time she could. So I spent one quarter of my years on the West side, you know what I'm saying? And then the other three quarters in the like quasi suburbs, right? And then yeah. when I went to high school, oh, those are the rich kids over there, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, so I got to see this whole diversity of economic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, and, and all of that. And I absolutely think it's what prepared me to be able to, to move in the circles that, that we move in today. Yeah. So, it, it, so sometimes I, uh, I struggle with the the concept of code switching. Hmm. Cause it, is it, I think it's not that I struggle with it. I understand code switching being one thing in one place and being one thing in another. But if you're all of that, hmm. are you really switching? Or are you just doing what's appropriate in the environment? Hmm. Are they two separate things? Because I, I, I know how to talk to people on all levels and it's not black or white. It's executive, senior leadership, you know, managers to, to the employees, to the gent, to the, you know, I don't even want to separate those, but to, to people at, at lower levels in a hierarchy perspective, mm -hmm. it's the same thing. So mm -hmm. is, is, is it all code switching or can you holistically be adaptable in multiple environments? Right. I, I think you have to be, you have to code switch. I think everyone does. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think there's a stigma put upon it because of, you know, our, our culture is very big on authenticity. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, if you black, you know what I'm saying? If you're yeah. not black and you're not acting black, then you're not, you know. And I think that that's where we get this idea that you have to be one certain way all the time. But I, you brothers can attest to this. You go into work and you're talking to your boss or to somebody you work with when you're in the office, right? Then that's one conversation. Mm -hmm. But when you go out to happy hour afterwards, right? That's mm -hmm. a totally different voice. Mm -hmm. That's a totally different way of talking yeah. to them. Y'all laughing, you're joking, you're doing different things. Is that not code switching? You know, yeah. it's switching yeah. your dialect and the way of approaching based on the environment you're in. It's, I think it's a necessity. So I, here's the thing, I'm sorry, here's the thing for me, uh, and I don't think I'm an, an anomaly. I have the same tone. Mm -hmm. I may, um, I may be a little bit more jovial outside of the office, <laughs> but, but like, this is me and yeah. you kind of see me mm -hmm. like, this yeah. is kind of who I am. Yeah. So I can look at you as the CEO or the senior manager that reports to me and I have the same tone and I'll use words that are appropriate, but I'm not really like D is D yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's. I always refer to like the universal language is emotion. Mm -hmm. And so, so I feel like authenticity is I'm going to express how I feel uh, always, 
Now, the, lang- the, 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 the form language, right, that I might give is going to be relative to, right, I'm, I'm going to speak with somebody who understands finance different than somebody who doesn't understand finance, right? Yes. I'm going to speak to my eight-year-old different than I'm going to speak to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And because that's just, like you said, it's a, it's a necessity, but I feel like for me, authenticity is, no, you're going to know how I feel, at any given moment, which 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 I control, right? So I can keep everything positive. I don't have to express the negativity that I feel in any given moment because I just don't believe that's positive in any, mm-hmm. right? You know, what I'm saying outcome. Mm-hmm. But that's how I think about it. No, oh, man. I, I yeah, I think it's I think it's 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 critical. Um, and and to to your point, D, you know, it, it isn't about ch- changing who you are. Right. You know what I mean? But the context might change how you present. Right. You know who you are. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um. But I do think, yeah, I mean, keep, keeping that learning how to keep your core of who you are in any environment mm-hmm. is is what comes from being exposed to, you know, a lot yeah. of different environments. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, going back to how, you know, wealth relates to that, you know, I see, again, my mom saying in her mind as a 25 year old, you know, I see all the all the brothers that, you know, I grew up around, you know what I'm saying? And her actual brothers, you know what I'm saying? In the direction that they're on. And, you know, I, I want my son to be exposed to something different, you know, but spend your summers on the West side with your people. Right. right? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I still go, I go to Chicago three, four times a year. I never miss a trip, you know, to the West side, you know what I'm saying? To go see my family, check in on everybody, spend time, eat some gyros, you know, like, you know, just, just do some some Chicago stuff, right. uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and so, you know, but at the same time, I might, you know, lead that meeting and then I might be, you know, down at Sears or Willis Tower or whatever they call it now, you know what I mean? And, at the Metropolitan Club, you know, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the same, Sean, but, right, you know, right, right. context is important. So, um, yeah. What, what, what would you say, um, you had another question? Go ahead. What, what would you say the, your focus is for, what you're trying to build for yourself currently, right? So we got the backstory, but mm-hmm. now you're building something and you're a super purposeful guy, right? So I don't think I've ever went deep into your head and asked like, like, what are you building and and why is it important? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was, uh, I was on my way there. It, it, uh, it started, it started when I began to understand how I ended up in a neighborhood that changed so drastically and rapidly and seeing how different people's experiences were based on where they grew up, right? Uh, it was, I was young, you know, but, but coming to understand that place has such a massive impact on your long-term mm. uh, out, uh, outcomes yeah. um, in terms of education, health, finances across the board. So for me, when I was trying to figure out how I was going to get back, contribute to the world, you know, like I said, I'd done acting. I did that till I was about like 16 years old, but I was never going to be a Hollywood dude. You know what I'm saying? I, ain't, I just, I ain't no Hollywood dude. You know what I'm saying? That guy. It's not right. so bad right now. You know, yeah, <laughs> right. The time today, of this recording. Yeah, today, yeah, maybe that's a good thing. But, you know, at the time it was very disappointing, but I knew that I still wanted to find a way to give back and to like uh, present the best of myself to the world. Uh, and what and what I found was like, you know, I'm looking and I'm saying the best of myself wants to see more people having more opportunities to be and do the best that they can do. Right. Because like mm. I met so many amazing people in my family and my friends across the board that because of their place would not have the opportunities that I had. Mm. You know what I mean? And so 
when I decided, you know, fast forwarding a bit, you know, when I decided it was time to to really settle down and find a real career, um, you know, the law made sense to me because what I saw was how many people were getting tripped up by the law, right? <laughs> Typically folks, you know, go to criminal law, right? You know what I mean? Like if you understand how the court system works then, but that was never my thought. I'm like, how do we not get there? Like, I don't want to be worried about problems from the court system. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like what, what can we do before we have to call mm-hmm. the criminal attorney? Right. And so when I look around and see how much money in place affects people's outcomes, then I said, okay, well, what can I do to create more opportunities for people to have autonomy and agency over their money and their place, you gotcha. know, in the world. Um, and so I said, I'm seeing a lot of brothers, you know, at this time, this would be like, you know, my friends, big brothers and cousins stuff, going to jail, you know, getting killed uh, in the game. You know what I'm saying? Selling dope, that type of thing. I'm like, these brothers are brilliant, though. You know what I'm saying? These are some of the best business on, you know, business people I know. You know, they hustle night and day. They smart. They got, you know, their distribution set up. They got networks. That, you know, supply chain. Bro, it's a, it's a very serious business, right? And so, and, and, and so I said, okay, what is it on the business side then that makes, you know, these white folks over in this neighborhood, you know, five miles away, just so comfortable and no issues going on whatsoever. And I know they're not no smarter and don't hustle no harder than anybody, than the folks I know over here. Right. And it came that what it came out to me was people don't, like it, it felt like there was this secret language being spoken about how to actually build wealth. You know what I mean? Like how to get from hustling, you know what I'm saying? To mm-hmm. actual like wealth building. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go to law school and focus on learning how they do it. How are they running these big businesses? You know what I mean? Like, how did they pull all this together? How did these massive groups of nameless, faceless, in my experience at the time, white folks, you know, just, you know, old white men (laughs) who just walking around on whatever a golf course is and just making, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. What's the difference? I know they're not no smarter. You know what I mean? So what is it? And so, and so I decided when I decided to go to law school, the, the focus from day one was to figure out um, how, what, what the pitfalls are, what the risks are, how to mitigate those and how to teach people that stuff up front yes. so that they don't have to deal with a lot of that kind of thing. Um, and, and my goal was to grow the law firm, or, you know, grow as a lawyer, excuse me, grow as a lawyer until I felt that I had the ability to really help people get mm-hmm. to that level and then go out and do my own thing. And so it was a big audacious goal, but you know, here we are, yep. you know what I mean? 12 years later. And that's exactly you know, what God's placed in, in, in my life and allowed me to be able to, to do. Uh, so it was always about trying to create more equity, trying to give more people more opportunities by helping them understand what the right path is and what the wrong path is. And I don't mean that in a moral sense sure. whatsoever, yeah. you know what yeah, I'm yeah. saying? But how to turn that, I don't care where you got, bro, I don't care where you got the first 10K from. I really don't care, you know what right. I'm saying? But what do you do with that? You see what I'm saying? Do you re-up? Or is it possible to go, you know, invest in some real estate with such and such and get this done, right? So, and, and then you even look look at look at the history of this country, you know, uh, look at Rockefeller, you know what I'm saying? He made his money selling dope, right? I mean, you know, prohibition, but you know what I'm saying? Like, which was alcohol, but right. dope at the time, you know what I mean? <laughs> the dope of the day. Thank you. Look at Bayer, you know, the, the prescription company. I was looking look, look um, at all of them. online. Yeah, yeah, you, you go through the list. You know, 1888, their cough syrup was... Lean codeine. and yeah, yeah, it's co- codeine and weed, you know what I'm saying? Mixed together, like dope dealing is in this America, is in this country's, yeah. you know, DNA, I mean, and, and, right? And, and, and yeah. that's even debatable whether, whether like drugs 
and prostitution is immoral. I mean, that's a whole kind of that's a that's whole a different whole conversation. Yeah. If you want, and you know, but I'm not even gonna touch that one. I yeah. know this: if you do it, then white folks are gonna be on you. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, until they distribute the license from their people exactly. in the state, like they're doing <laughs> cannabis. Little exactly. By little exactly. All our, all our rappers yeah. that we love. Same situation. My, my man, John Boehner. Never mind. They go down that road. <laughs> so um, you, uh, you, you said you have two sons? Yes. How old are they? Two sons, 12 and nine. So they, you were on the journey when they came along. That's correct. What changed? <sighs> they changed me. Um, my the reason I went to law school was because my wife got pregnant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was working at the time uh, actually at the University of Texas um, as an academic counselor uh, post college, trying to figure out where I wanted to land. And that goal was exactly the same. They gave me an opportunity to work with the athletes with a focus on working with the football team and the basketball team. And I'm saying to myself, okay, so I made it through college. I learned a thing or two, you know, through my undergrad. Um, and now you're going to give me an opportunity to be here to help them develop their life skills right. and, and, you know, their future. So that that was the route I wanted to go. Um, but I probably would have stayed there, you know, and, and and kept working with athletes and, you know, trying to make sure they got their reading done and getting through their classes. Uh, but when my son was going to come along, I was like, there ain't enough bread in this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I, can, I can't, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm barely doing what I want to do in life. I, right. I can't give him a life that I think he deserves from this place. Um, so, so that was the big change that got me to, to, to kind of move from floating around with this idea of how I wanted to help people to here's how, here's how I'm going to try to do it. You know what I'm saying? Here's, here's what I'm going to do. So it was the same plan. My plan hasn't changed, you know, and, and it's just been, you know, head down, eyes forward, you know, the whole time. Um, and, and yeah, they give you that, that sense of, of purpose, I think that, you know, goes outside of just, you know, my own ego or my own, you know, desires to have, you know, money and, 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 and power and influence to, you know, this is, this is my opportunity to, to be a, a true leader, um, in my home, right. you know what I mean? And, and, and I wanted my boys to see, uh, I guess, boy at the time, you know, to see and have an example of a young black man that was living the way that I wanted them to live. Uh, and I didn't feel like I was living that way at that time, you know, mm-hmm. so just want to take it to the next level. Quick follow up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for for me, climbing the uh, the corporate ladder and ultimately arriving where I thought was success, um, I realized that I was a great leader in the corporate space, not so great leader at home. At any time, did you struggle with the two, or do you think one has made you as strong in the other? Mm. How was how was how did you kind of navigate that space of being doing meaningful work outside the home and also maintaining that leadership in the home? Initially, not very well. Okay. Initially, um, initially, I did not do the best job at that. Uh, frankly, I poured everything I could into the work. Everything, all the you know, stuff. every last drop, you yeah. know, went to the work. Mm-hmm. And of course, as a man, I feel that I feel that that is my number one responsibility is to provide and make sure that not only are their basic needs taken care of, but that they have all the opportunities in the world. And so, I thought that I was doing the best possible service to my family right. by 
staying at work till one o'clock in the morning. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Two in the morning, getting up and being back out at six, you know, and back on the road. Uh, and, you know, my wife disagreed, you know what I'm saying? As y'all can imagine, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, for a while there, I, my kids probably didn't even know who I was, you know, for, for the most part. Um, so my home life suffered yeah. uh, greatly during the first six, seven years of my legal practice. Um, that's also the time you're spending at a, at a law firm when you're coming up. For, for any lawyers out there, folks considering mm -hmm. being lawyers, uh, you know, those first few years... Those first few years, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they just, they put you through the ringer, you yeah. know, and, and that's really the only way to learn. You got to look at hundreds of deals to really understand the minutia and understand the various uh, pitfalls that are going to come up most commonly and be able to predict, you know, where deals are going to go. Mm. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a required school, but, um, but I definitely did it at the expense of my, of my family life. And so my family life was the main impetus behind starting my own firm when I did. You see what I'm saying? Like I knew I wanted to do it at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it really got to a point where, okay, I hate work. Uh, you know, I don't like that. I come home. Don't nobody like me here. You know, like, and I'm not getting ahead where I'm at. These folks, they say they're supporting, but they're not really, you know, giving me the support I need to be able to grow in, in that space. Um, even though I'm putting in all this time and effort, you know what I'm saying? So at some point, you know, I said, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Okay. I, I, okay. You know, I had developed some good relationships, had a few clients coming in for their firm, you know? Um, and I said, okay, well, we just going to start with them, yep. you know? And I took it and I started it and it, and that was a massive turning point in my life. That's when I got to know my children, you know? Mm. And that's when I got to really know my wife again. You know what I mean? I hadn't talked to her in years, in, yeah. a, in a sense, you <laughs> yeah, know what no, I'm I saying? Get it. I get it. Uh, so as, as difficult as, you know, the entrepreneurial world can be, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I have gotten to coach my kids, you know, YMCA soccer teams. And I'm at, I'm on the dad's club at my kid's school. I didn't right. even know schools had dad's clubs and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? My school had no dad club, you know, and, and I'm on the board and, and, you know, I actually know the people that live around us and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And and that to me is worth everything. If business stopped tomorrow, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to try to find a way to do something that allows me to continue the, the home life, because that's what that's what really counts at the end of the day. And I want to ask a follow up question on that. And you can just give your perspective yeah. fully, as, as I know you're going to do. Like if you're talking to a. When are you finished law school, 25, 26, 27 year mm -hmm, old mm -hmm. uh, young black attorney mm -hmm. uh, and you want to he he uh, help him through your pitfalls. Right. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. is there anything that that he or she can do? Mm -hmm that can give him more balance during a learning process that you now know that you wish you would have known? Yes. Um, I think the number one thing that any new attorney should do, but especially a new black attorney should do is, is, is manage, manage expectations, manage your expectations of the people that say that they're going to give you the world. You know what I mean? In my experience, and in fact, it's not, this is not my experience. This is just the reality. Uh, large law firms uh, have uh, diversity requirements just like everybody else. They don't to run the firm, but to get the clients that they want to get, they do, right? So for example, if you want to get a contract with Meta, uh, you have to have a certain amount of your workforce be diverse, 
to get mm. to get to that level. Mm. If you don't care about that and you just want to stay in your good old boy circle, then you could just work with them forever. Uh, but if you want to expand beyond that, then you got to show a little bit of color on the screen somewhere. So oftentimes they'll put us in those positions and give us an opportunity really just to put us on the website. You know what I'm saying? And mm. not really give much more than that. So I would say mm. the most important thing you can do going in is, you know, don't believe everything that you're told and everything that you, you know, see around you. Don't assume that you're going to get those same opportunities necessarily. You're going to have to, you're going to have to out hustle and outwork. I wish the world had changed more than it has, but it hasn't, you know? So uh, I can give you an example. Um, at the last law firm job I had, you know, they wanted me to do a lot of uh, title work. You know, you're reviewing uh, uh, title for real estate transactions, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, that's when you're looking at uh, what's going on with the land you're going to buy, what easements are on it, who owns it, whether it's green goo under the land that you can't see, you know, that kind of stuff. It's pretty complicated to learn how to do that. You know, the amount mm -hmm. of documents you have to go through, whole history of docs, it takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, so in the course of a year working at this particular law firm, uh, there was another associate who was there who'd been there a year prior, a uh, year more than I had, who had done about 65 title reviews, right? Uh, and I, in that same year, was given nine, right? That's just not enough, you right. know what I'm saying, to really learn, to really learn what I needed to learn. So you, even though you're in the building, you can be sitting in that building, in that fancy building with the you know AC on and the lights over you and you got your suit on and you're just sitting there rotting, right. waiting, you know, for somebody to give you the opportunity to learn. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think the most important things you can do are do every bit of the work that you don't want to do and do it to the very best of your ability. Don't be like me and let your ego get in the way. Cause I got my feelings hurt by that. You mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? I was like, wait a minute. Now, Billy, you took him to lunch, you know, and y'all were talking about, you know what I'm saying, what next deals you were going to do and how the weekend went. Nobody even stopped in my office. Man, white folks. And, and then get mad. You right. see what I'm saying? That won't serve you, you know, in any way. That's the best thing you can do is manage your expectations. No, no matter what they tell you about how they're going to support you, you don't depend on that, right? You depend on, on the quality of your work and on, you know, eating some shit, you know, along the way to learn what you need to learn, um, to make the move you need to make. And then from there, to, to the extent possible, it, it, it is a, they're very insular cultures in, in the law firm world. You have to learn how to speak their language and how to incorporate yourself into the world of the people that you work for. Because the people that you work for are the people who decide what work you do. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like work comes from above them. You know what I mean? Right. They, if they've got a plate of work, they decide who they're going to divvy it out to. And they divvy it out to their favorites, you know, at the end of the day, right? So it's just like any other job where you're, you're, you're kind of need, you need the approval of your superiors in order to gain the skill set, right? Because it's not like the work just flows out of nowhere. They're going to give you the amount that they feel like they want to give you that day. They're going to put as much time and effort and energy into you mm -hmm. as they feel like it. And if you are coming at it from a perspective where you're not their cousins or, you know, you, you don't already, you're not already on the golf course every weekend and knowing how to navigate that space. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to invite you necessarily to the golf tournament to go, you know, dig up all the greens and, and, and look silly out <laughs> there, right? You know, then, you know, th th those are those are things you might have to get into. You know, first time I ever played golf was trying to get <laughs> trying to get my first job as a lawyer. I was there interning for the summer and the end of internship. 
uh, uh, event was a was a golf event. It was actually the firm's annual golf event, and they allowed the interns to play. And I got on Craigslist and found me a set of left-handed clubs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'm at the driving range, just hacking away, dislocating my shoulder, trying anything, you know, anything <laughs> to try to, you know, get up to speed. Um, but but knowing those things in advance and kind of understanding the culture of the environment you're walking into can be extremely helpful because it's it's a matter of building relationships. Yeah. You know, mm. I'm not saying it like. Everybody I've worked with was just like, oh, he's black. I'm not talking to him. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. worry about that. But it's but they're going to go with what's right in front of them, what, what inertia leads them to, the people that they see the most, the people that they identify with the most and more fami- most familiar with are the ones they're going to give time to. So, you know, kind of understand the culture you're walking into and figure out how best to maximize that. That's the best way to get work, keep work, and grow. Uh, I'm a, I know I asked a bunch of, but he, you said something that I want to mm-hmm. pinpoint and I want to get both of your thoughts that I know we... Uh, and then you can ask the rest of the questions. But you use you use the words "feel" three times. You use inertia, uh, like where you are now, because I feel it on you. So I kind of know how you're going to answer. Because hmm. I went through the same thing too. I feel like most people operate at a subconscious level. They're not fully aware of their biases and expectations, mm-hmm. but they move based on how they feel. So if so, if you feel the best then you become like invisible in form, right? Meaning like, meaning like, obviously the white guy's gonna feel like their cousin, niece, nephew that has similar interest. And so I, so do you feel like as black people, if we can, um, cause this is how I know you win now and I win now, but if we can not let the bias change how we feel and stay the most positive person in the room, then they can't help but to be attracted to us because like we're the best feeling person in the room. I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? 1000%, you know, one one thing, I hope I can just say, I'm just gonna say it, but you know, one thing white folks love is like a, a, a happy black person, bro. Like they love us, you know what I'm saying? Like when we having a good time, they're like, come on over, tell us all about it. You know what I'm saying? Like they love that, right? And And the problem with that is, pride ego for me you know what i'm saying like i'm not good at that like you know initially you know my feelings like no you're gonna you gonna respect me based off of this you know what i'm saying off my intellect off what i bring to the table like i'm not here to entertain you you know what i mean and so that would get to me a lot you know i'm not i'm not the funny guy no you know you know i'm not gonna tell you you know jokes and and, and jump into you know my my more common vernacular with my friends with you you know to make you feel comfortable like what is that you know but but there is a balance that has to be struck there, you know, and, and some of that ego does need to be put aside because I certainly shot myself in the foot several times in my early legal career by saying, nope, I won the spelling bee in fifth grade and you are not going to disrespect me. You know what I'm saying? Like somewhere in my subconscious, you know, yeah. I wanted to be respected solely based on my intellect and my accomplishments up to that point. And that's not reality, you know, kind of going back to managing expectations. You, it, It's a balance. You give your best, but also, yeah, figure out how you can ingratiate yourself to that environment and make the road as smooth as possible for yourself. That's what I would recommend. Because if you don't, you're beating your head against a titanium wall. Mm. I can attest to that a thousand percent. Yeah, similar experience. And uh, we'll address it right after this word from our sponsor. We'll be right black. Almost always the number one cause of overeating is like in a emo- trying to fill an emotional void you know and so if you if you deal with the emotional void then you don't feel the need to overeat to fill that void right so same thing with money if you if you deal with the emotional void then the overspending like takes care of itself 
This episode is sponsored by the Wealth Building Made Simple Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other major podcasting platform. All right, we are black, clearly. Um, didn't get a chance to run from the answer. Uh, Philip reminded me that I still need to give my answer. So, I, I'm similar, I'm of a similar type in this regard that I wanted the merit to be based on my work. I wasn't trying to be part of the boys club. I wasn't trying to, you know, finagle my way into happy hour. Mm-hmm. When I started getting invited to happy hour, it was because I stayed who I was in my mind, right? And I I always demonstrated value. Like I always went in, not always, but when I realized that this was my career mm-hmm. and I had a family mm-hmm. <laughs> and I needed to mm-hmm. I needed to grow in it, I always performed at the next level. My goal was to always push my boss, and I hate that word, even though I was that at one point, to the next level. Like, I'm not worried about a path because if I'm reporting to somebody, that means that's somewhere for me to go. I just need to get them to wherever they're trying to go. Up, retirement, like whatever it is, I'm working on, I'm really working on your, your behalf, your company's behalf. And the nature of my job was contracts. Like I was a supply chain manager, so purchasers and subcontracts with vendors and, and subcontractors. I was always looking to protect, mm-hmm. right? I was one of those guys, like you said, working until the wee hours of the morning. I was with international contracts. So a lot of my responsibility was Iraq, Afghanistan, and Africa. So I worked on the East Coast, 10 hours in the office, and then it would annoy me to wake up to emails. So after I come home, look at my kids and my wife for 45 minutes, I'm back on the computer trying to stay ahead, interacting with people in real time. So I always thought that that was going to be good enough, but I realized that other people that didn't look like me seemed to be enjoying work more. They were on the golf course. Mm -hmm. They were at the happy hours and I was just mad. But I realized that they were playing a game that I didn't want to play. So how could I really be upset about them getting the prize money for a game that I never entered the contest for? Mm -hmm. So when it came to me moving up the executive chain, it was based on my work and it was because Derek is going to be practical and he's going to do what's on the best interest of the company. But I wasn't on the golf course. So when it came time to the grand finale, like I, I was, I was an interim VP for global supply chain because the VP left. Right. And I was kind of the right hand man. So typically, you know, you're in that position three to six months where they sort things out, figure some, find somebody new and it's clearly temporary. Well, I did it for like 18 months. When it was time to interview, which was wild to me that I had <laughs> that I had an interview for the job that I was doing for 18 months, I was interviewing with people that would be my peers. And one specific piece of feedback I got during the interview was, and it's, it was kind of backhanded when I thought about it in retrospect, was a guy that said, Derek, I've never seen you smile. This is the first time we're laughing. He said, you're already the big you know, you're the, you're, you're the big guy in the room. My mind said big black guy, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I I always, and I, and I felt that because I had to be mindful, but I always thought that because if I'm the only one or one of two black people in the room, Mm -hmm. the memory is not going to be, he came here joking. I just can't risk that. Because I also know that when I went to happy hour and everybody's wasted, I still showed up at 8 AM when everybody else would either call out or it was a joke. Like in meeting, <laughs> he he couldn't get up. I never felt like I had that kind of that kind of leeway. That kind of yeah, that. that kind of leeway. Mm-hmm. So it was um, and and I acted to kind of 
wrap it up for you. I, I was exited out of corporate America because we got bought out. Like we we were held privately. We went public, got bought by a private company. And then there's like the layers of of leadership. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got exited October, October 3rd coming up. And um, looking back on it with clarity, I enjoy my time more now. I think I could have done a better job at making my work life more enjoyable. Mm. Now, the balance, I, never, I don't believe in balancing a lot of things. Like you kind of do what, what needs you get you. But I definitely lost track of my family along the way. But, but that piece of being what they want you to be to get what you want, mm-hmm. I struggled with that my whole career. And I think it did. And like I'm looking back, I don't regret anything. I, you know, the money caught up because I, I was one of those that like I was checking the work of people more senior to me and correct like and making them look good. Right. So mm-hmm. I was an asset in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I was the guy that no, keep him close. Don't let him on the mic though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's kind of yep. my experience. Uh, that's that real. Familiar. That's real. It, 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 it took me a while. I, mean, I, I think luckily I had a mentor. It was a 70-year-old. I talk about him all the time. 70-year-old uh, white guy, you know, from Dallas. Like, like whatever you can imagine, you know, he, matter of fact, he goes to First Baptist Church. He doesn't share the the outrageous view, the outrageous views of the pastor, but you know what I'm saying? Like he, I would call him similar to us. Let me just say me, right? Because I'm people who know me from black. I don't like I'm of the black culture, but I don't agree with everything that black culture agrees right. with, right? So he's similar to that at 70. So he was a really good perspective, but I, you know, uh, and I even coached me since I was like in my 20s for uh, first, t- you know, that, when I was at Northwestern Mutual. But it was like one, it was like one deal I did. He 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 was a, a financial advisor, but he did investments. But he had an insurance license, and he bought this big policy from it. I pointed out the idea, like he was my he was my mentor. He was going to lunch. I say, why don't you do this and that and buy this kind of policy for that, you know? Um, and then it, it was a it was like an advanced planning idea. So it was like not some by term, but it was a it was a high level idea. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, he was like, uh, "All right, just." Go ahead and write it up and sell it to me. And I was like, but you can sell it to yourself and then you get the commission. And he was like, no, nah, I want you to. So I was like, so I like went away. And I went to my coach. Like, what does he want? He was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm about to make like 10 grand on this thing. and He can give it to himself. You know, why is he giving it to me? Because he likes you. And I was like, does not compute. <laughs> like, that didn't compute for like years. Right. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah. Yeah, man. I, I definitely hear you on that. You know, I think that's one of the one of the symptoms of, you know, coming up in a corporate environment as black men where, you know, there's that sense that we're not at the same level of advantage as everybody else. And so then it gets hard to accept help and support. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know for me and this is to this day, I have I have a hard time asking for help now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like a real hard we were time. separated at birth. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I have a hard time with that, man. And and uh, you know, uh 
there's a there's a guy that you reminded me of right now. You know, um, I, I always say this stuff to myself. Like, I don't, no, I don't have mentors. You know, uh, you know, I wish I had a mentor. I wish somebody would mentor me. But when I look back, you know what I'm saying? A lot of it was me not necessarily, you know, asking for that help or continuing to follow up. Or maybe they didn't answer the call this one time. And I'm like, well, you just must not care that. And then I'm gone. Well, maybe I'll call again. You know what I'm saying? Maybe come by again and like show some interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think uh, that's something that I'm trying, still trying to learn today, especially at this point in my career, is trying to learn as we as we make our jump as a law firm to, to our next level, we gonna need support, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We it's, it's gonna have to be some folks that open some doors, and I can't kick no more doors in, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like you know, so uh, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm trying to learn to embrace that. You know? I, I know what it is to specialize, and um, I'll, I'll figure it out. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's uh, it's almost like this this contest that I created in my head. The person has no idea, but I'm trying to figure out how to be just as genius, mm-hmm. but different. You went that way. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this, buddy. <laughs> Watch this, buddy. Yeah. I'm going to cut the forest down the other way. Go around the mountain. It, 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 it's sickening, man. And I'm glad you mentioned that. So with, with that perspective, I want to start talking about the shift from big corporate to big, your ownership, because I don't like calling it small, right? From, I appreciate from, that. from corporate America, traditional, to, to blazing your own trail. Like, what are some things that you had to learn or unlearn to be successful? And I don't know if you can kind of chronologically discuss, like, if there were things early mm-hmm. to mid to mm-hmm. where you are now, but like, what are some of those things that you had to undo? Okay, the first thing was um, was learning to ask, it's still learning to ask for help, but even from my peers, you know what I mean? That that was that was tough. You know, uh, I think, you know, when you make it to a certain level, and, you know, get get a certain thought in your head, like I'm doing, you know, I'm doing this and I'm where I am. And, you know, when a bunch of brothers get together, sometimes it can be a little bit of showboating, a little bit of like, I got this, Pissing you got contest, that. You yeah. know what I mean? And I remember I remember when I was when I just had started the firm, uh, a friend of mine was throwing these uh, quarterly events um, getting some brothers together. I might've met you at one of these events, but if mm. not, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about that later. But I just, you know, in, in, in the evening there, I, I just stood up in front of everybody, you know, when they were asking for introductions, you know, and, and I was going to like, what am I going to say? You know, I'm like, I'm going to say, I'm Sean Tate and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a real estate and business attorney. And, uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and we'd be happy to help you if there's anything, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> right. that type of thing. Right. Worse. And then I was like, Sean, bro, that ain't gonna cut it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not even true. You know, like the truth is I just stepped out on my own. I don't know where next month coming from. You know what I'm saying? Can we, can we please talk, you know, individually? So I mean, I went to, you know, all the people at this place, had conversations with them, got to know them personally, got to know about them and their families and, and said, you know, is there anything that you can do to help, you know, but it was really economic necessity that, that finally, put my ego to the mm. side, mm. you know? So that was the first thing I had to learn was, yeah, you went to law school. Yeah, you got your fancy degree. Yeah, you worked in a couple <laughs> fancy shit, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a whole nother world out here, you know? And you start from scratch, bro, you know? Um, so, but in gaining that humility was, was, was the first thing. Then as I got into business, the next thing that I had to learn was, was, was how to lead, um, how to lead that that was something that i felt in my 
in my corporate career, I didn't really have a lot of opportunities to do. Um, I could lead projects, but it's really just me and some paper, right? But how to lead people mm. uh, was a completely different process. So, you know, starting the firm, I realized very quickly that I could not both do all the work and handle all of the administrative aspects mm. of running a law firm. <laughs> that just don't work like that. You know what I'm saying? Cool. So I had to learn how to uh, source good help, you know, and nurture it and make sure that folks were not only willing to work with me, but wanting to and inspired and wanting to stay and wanting to help us grow. Mm. And so, uh, and I had to do that while internally going through just, you know, more just fear, anxiety, trepidation, you know, all day, all night. Like, you know, I, I don't know how we're going to pay these bills kind of thing, but then you got to show up to work, you know what I'm saying? And put on that face, you know? And so I got a new respect for some of the the bosses that, you know, I had before that, you know, I, I really wanted to put it in their face that I was going to make it, you know what I'm saying? I, I had to respect like, okay, now I see what it was like for you, you know what I'm saying? In that, in that position. Um, so, so yeah, it was, you know, first, you know, learning, you know, how to, how to ask for help. And again, I still struggle with that when it comes to people that I think have tried to hold me back in the past and I still got to work on that, but I did learn how to reach out to my network, you know, and and my support. And then from there, figuring out how to, um, how to be a a strong leader, a, a stabilizing force, uh, in the, in the business, even when there's chaos, you know, going on all, all around. Um, and, and the third lesson, and this is the one that I'm still learning. I got the first two down pretty good. The third one is patience. Mm. The third one is patience because, bro, I want it all. And I want it now. I want Media. it last week, bro. <laughs> I want it the last decade, you know, but yeah. the world doesn't work on, on my schedule, right? Mm. God don't work on my schedule. You know what I'm saying? He That's on his time when this is going to happen or that's going to happen or that's going to happen. So yeah, right now, what, what, what we're working through and what I'm learning how to do is to manage all this chaos and things that are going on and, and not beat my head against the wall in frustration over the fact that this X, Y, or Z hasn't happened yet. Mm. Right. And really just appreciating the day for where it is and what we have today and doing the very best I can with what I can do on that day. Cause it ain't, cause it ain't up to me when CBRE is going to call back or when 7-Eleven is going to finally sign this contract, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. CBRE. Did you ever work with, um, um, JLL? Yeah. I got some friends at JLL. Yeah. Yeah. Part of, part of our corporate responsibility was, uh, corporate leases ah. toward the last year and a half of my tenure. Mm-hmm. New respect. <laughs> New respect for the real estate portfolio. Did you have something? Uh, I was going to follow up with, um, and, and you can not change the topic if you want, but uh, health, man. Health mm-hmm. has been, I've watched you transform, you know, your your, your health in the last. I've been 12, about a year and a half, yeah. year, year and a half. Yeah. Well, you know, what, what, what triggered it? And then how did you like do that in the midst of, building this and managing it. Cause I mean, that's a, people like, I don't have the time. They got it backwards, bro. This is the only way I've been able to do it. You see what I'm saying? Like Mm. it was basically 
basically here's here's what happens. So one, you know, lawyers, it's, it's a sedentary lifestyle, man. You're just sitting around clicking all day, right? And it's stressful. It's very stressful. So you click in and then you're eating Cheez-Its, you know what I'm saying? And then, <laughs> you know, I looked up, man, and, and during COVID, I put on about 65 pounds wow. during COVID. Uh, and prior, I wasn't in the greatest shape. Uh, I put on 65 more, you know what I'm saying, at that point. And I just got to a point where, you know, with all of the stresses of, of running and growing the business going on, I couldn't handle it mentally to also be feeling terrible. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, you know, you know, when you get in a low place, you're like, I'm just going to take a walk. Like that was really the first, I remember it was, I, it was rainy. My knees was hurting. My hips was hurting, you know, cause I was trying to still trying to play golf, you know, and, and not doing it well, not doing it right. And I was like, I'm just going to take a walk. Mm. And I just took a walk around my neighborhood and I felt better. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't about how I look, you know what I'm saying? Or how, you know, I wasn't trying to, I was like, I feel a little bit better now. And so I said, okay, so here's what I'll do. When I'm having my meetings, instead of sitting at my desk, hunched over my desk, you know, shoveling down whatever junk foods, I'm just going to walk around the neighborhood, you know what I'm saying, while I do that. And then I found that like, I was actually more confident in my uh, interactions with folks and then going through those meetings when I was up. And moving around, you know, I've done a lot of studies now that like when you're walking and your, your brain just really? fires better, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? When, when you're having physical activity. And so I said, okay, well, I feel better and I'm doing better at my job, you know? And so I just kept building on that. And that was really it. Uh, that for me personally, uh, nutrition was a massive issue mm. because, bro, I got GI problems. I can't eat like bad at night. And then get a good night's sleep. Right. You see what I'm saying? So like if I eat a pizza at 9 p.m., you know, I'm up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, bubble guts, you know, I can't get. And then I got a meeting at 8 a.m. You see what I'm saying? I can't do that. And so it's like really, I was like, I have to be sharp for this meeting. So I'm a, I don't know what I'm, I'm gonna use some carrots or something, whatever else is around here, but I'm not gonna put myself behind the eight ball today. Right for what I got to do tomorrow. So it was really just a day to day. This is helping me feel better and perform better. And then as that built on itself, then it just started, you know, then my wife started noticing, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Things started going real well at home, you know what I'm saying? Everybody else started noticing. And then then you pull up to the meeting and they're like, Sean, my goodness, you know, and now the business opportunities get better, you know? And so really it's never been about aesthetics, you know, for me, but Truly, uh, you know, exercise and nutrition have helped to uh, stabilize my my mind, you know, mm-hmm. and allow me to find calm in the mix, midst of chaos, to find a good night's sleep. You know what I mean? And those are the things that I think are required of anybody who's really pushing, you know, for their goals. You know, if mm-hmm. if, uh, if work is at the center of your life, as it is for a lot of young men, yep. you know, it just helps. I just feel better. And that's really it. Mm-hmm. What were the, uh, the conversations like when you couldn't see the money 30 days out. Mm. Cause you, right you, now? you go for- <laughs> 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 You want time, yeah, time stamp yeah, yeah, Let's keep it real. I just, I'm thinking in terms of my transition, um, I've called this the summer of correction on another platform because I saw some things happening and I didn't want to make the change. Mm-hmm. Like coming from corporate where things happen every two weeks on the schedule. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. And then it's like, okay, I'm out of that, but I have a reserve. So it's not dire right now. Mm -hmm. Then you look up and it's like, man, that tens place digit keeps changing. Mm. Then it's like, ooh, wait a minute. (laughs) It's like, what are we, 
what are we, what are we doing? So, uh, and I wasn't great at having those conversations because in my mind, I need to go into the conversation with my wife with things figured out mm-hmm. when she wants to help figure things out. So, <sighs> man, hmm. yes, I, I really felt that. I mean, I think as men, especially as men that's running households, like that's the toughest thing because, you know, my wife, I'm not going to speak for all wives and definitely not for all women. I'm not going to do that. But you know what I'm saying? In my experience, you know, financial stability, man, if, it, hmm. if it's not there, you know, it's in the foundation may as well be cracked in the actual house. You know what I'm saying? Because they just they don't know how to deal with that as well. You know, in my experience, my wife didn't know how to deal with that stuff as well. So I try to kind of protect her from that stuff sometimes. Um, but I found that it's been to my to my own detriment. Um, basically, what I discovered is if I'm honest with her consistently, consistently, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like not just when it's bad or when it's good, but like along the way, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Then she learns to develop trust because she gets to see that I can get out that shit. Like I did it before. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when things, so, so, I mean, literally I had this conversation with my wife this morning, you know, this morning I was talking about this issue, you know, I'm like the zeros ain't zeroing like they was, you know what I'm saying? A couple months ago. Right. And frankly, gentlemen, I don't have the solution yet. This is literally this morning, you know what I mean? But I found that because I have shown over the past two years, year and a half, a consistent uh, pattern of letting her know where things are when we up, when we down, she was like, okay, I'll see you later. I'll see you this evening. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As opposed to three years ago, it would have been like, okay, so first we're going to cut the cable. Okay. Cause we don't need to spend that $92 a month. Like, okay, baby, nine, $92 a month ain't going to change nothing in your world or mine. Right. So don't waste your time. But I used to have those kind of fights with her. Why are you worried about, you know, you, oh, you want me to mow the lawn? So we don't have to pay, you know, $40 for somebody to yeah. mow the lawn. I mean, I can mow the lawn, but wouldn't you rather be working up? But we don't have to argue about that kind of stuff anymore because she, feels more like she's a part of it you know what yeah. I'm saying? she's not a part of my business in any way but she's she's privy to what's going on at any given time um so you know i just uh, go, went ahead and unburdened myself this morning and told her you know not in any you know crazy way but i'm like yeah you know business business is really good but we're having a burn rate versus mm. uh you know timing for the next opportunity issue you know yeah. what i mean yeah. and and i'm working through that you know and she's like okay and, and, I, and I can't, and if, and if you don't mind, point this out because I know you get to like everything you said. I reflect my experience, my learning journey, mm-hmm. and I think you have a you and you like me have a higher level perspective. What I'm trying to say is, you work with wealthy clients, and I think the perspective that people have about wealth is that it's a never like like once you start to get it it's a never ending stream of whatever and you mm-hmm. never have to manage mm-hmm. that part again right. Right? right but does it ever stop like it never stops you know what i'm saying at least if it stops i ain't got to the stop yet <laughs> right. you know what i'm saying but, i don't but, know but what but stop that is. like your wealthy clients i mean yeah. do you ever I mean, part part of what they right. consult you on is yeah. helping them work through that right helping them work that next deal like Man, I cannot tell this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can tell it. But yeah, no, that's real common, man. I, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who, you know, um, had an opportunity to, you know, buy a, a 10% of the, of the Cowboys when, when Jerry was buying them and back in 87. And, you know, and this guy. Wow. Let's it, pause for the calls right there. Yeah, bro. Yeah, wow. Bro. He stepped out of that deal. We, we could talk about why, you know, separately, but. 
the point the point is you know he's like the richest old white guy i know you know what i'm saying but we sat down and had lunch and he was like giving me game you know on like what how it really was you know what i'm saying and man he's yeah he's in his 70s i mean i'm sure he's been good for maybe the last 15, 20 years, you know, maybe, right? But the first 25 years of his career, and I mean, he had 10 different, you know, actually he has seven businesses, construction business going. He does a lot of, he did a lot of building in Frisco, Prosper, Plano, you know what I'm saying? Back when it was farmland, mm -hmm. right? Um, he lost it all three times. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it, it's not, it's not some, some, some perch <laughs> that you reach and then you just sit there, you hustling, you know, yeah. at that perch too. And you might not have cash. I mean, he had all these businesses, all his money. Jerry was like, 10%, it wouldn't, it would have cost him upfront like $10 million. You know mm. what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Well, I couldn't do it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I have it. You know, I couldn't even pull it together like with everything I tried to do. He, you know, doing acrobats, trapeze, trying to figure out how to make it work. He couldn't do it. Uh, he also decided not to do it for other reasons. But the point being, mm. if somebody was to look at that man from the outside, you know what I'm saying, and look at his family and his cars and his dinner, they would have thought, you know, this guy has it made, you know. But no, nah, it's not It's not necessarily like that, even for the, the wealthy, you know, yeah. wealthy people. So um, you always got to hustle. What are some of the... Um the non-monetary wealth principles that are important to you? Non-monetary wealth pr principles that are important to me. Can you, uh, what do you mean by non-monetary? So in listening to you talk, um, kind of re refocusing on your family, mm -hmm. having those conversations with your wife. To me, those mm -hmm. are, and, and maybe it's feeble-mindedness on my part, mm -hmm. but I think of wealth like holistically. Like how, how people around you, how you communicate it, how people around you understand it. Mm -hmm. What does your family know about it? Like, and I'm struggling in that part. Like my, my family knows that they live here. Not my wife, but yeah. they, my kids just know that they live here. Right. And if something happened, they wouldn't be able to go out and maintain this kind of lifestyle because I haven't had as enough conversations, right? And that's not necessarily a how to make money conversation. It's a, here's what life takes. Right. You know what I'm saying? In terms of that. So I, I may have presented it I understand what you mean. I, and I think, yeah, I, I think the the things that lead to wealth, I mean, I think it's it's several ways to go to go about it. But at the end of the day, I think you have to have a, a, a high tolerance, a high tolerance for change hmm. and, and for, you know, unexpected things happening in your life and being able to kind of roll with the punches and like, which is a life lesson, you know, like like any other life lesson. Um, you have to believe in yourself, you, you know, self-confidence is not something that I think necessarily people are born with. I think that has to be nurtured, right. you know? Um, and, and so for me, those are probably the, the two, the two biggest ones that I, I want to impart to my kids. And then the third, just, just education on it. A lot, a lot of stuff is just people don't, you don't know what you don't know. You right. know what I'm saying? And I can't tell you how many times I've sat, you know, worrying and worrying and worrying about a problem that had the simplest solution. I just didn't know. I just didn't know it. Right. I didn't know that that thing existed. So with my with my kids and or to go back to just non monetary things that I think are important to wealth, um, you know, it, it's it's the kind of person you are. You know, like can you can you handle uh, change without allowing yourself like like coach like coach prime you know what i'm saying like coach could have yelled and screamed and broke his reflective glasses in half and and you know but he didn't do none of those things right, right. the same guy that was on top of the world last week you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying he was on top of the world like yeah you know we're three and all we're gonna go play this next game 
he got mollywopped out there in front of the entire world. And he was like, yeah, it's a good old fashioned butt kicking, you know, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm. That, you know, if I can, if I can impart that, that's, that's true wealth. You know, you can have wealth in, in any, in any type of iteration. If you can understand that not, none of it is that important, you know what I'm saying? And just roll with things, you know, as they come. But, but at the same time, you have to have a, an indomitable belief in your ability to succeed, you know? And so uh, I really think that combination is the key to success. And, you know, obviously, you know, with success, typically comes some wealth, you know what I mean? Uh, but but it's, it's, it's mostly life lessons, you know, life lessons stuff. I try to impart to my kids that, you know, it, no matter what they decide to do, I tell them all the time, like, you ain't got to be like me. You ain't got to be a lawyer. You ain't got to be a business person. You know what I mean? Like, do you know, do what makes you happy. But know, you know, that th this is what it's going to take to get through life anyway. And the better you do it, the more likely you are to, to end up doing pretty well. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah. So. That's real. I like the way you answered that. Man, we, um, this is actually a good, a good stopping point. Uh, I like to call this the first installment. Because okay. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like there's more, there's definitely more to you, um, and I would love to continue the conversation in a uh, in a part two if you're open to it. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely, it'd be my pleasure. How do you um, how do people work with you? I don't know if like the nature of your business is. Do you have a social media presence? Do you how how do people find you if they're looking for more info on? Mr. Tate. Yeah. Uh, best, best way would probably be LinkedIn or check out our website. Right. So you can find me on, you know, LinkedIn backslash Sean Tate, um, or backslash Tate law group. Uh, in addition, you can find us online at, uh, www.tate-legal.com. Um, that kind of breaks everything down there. You can see the practice areas we work on. You can see the team of lawyers that we've amassed that, that turn these deals through, you see some examples of deals we've done. I think that gives people the best opportunity to understand what we do. Yep. Um, I think, you know, what people really need to understand is, is if you understand what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, then you know how to interact with me. So if you're a business person, if you're a deal maker, if you're an entrepreneur and you're used to working with large law firms, uh, faceless law firms, massive retainer law firms with, uh, you know, very little response uh, when you need them. Uh, but you need that same level of expertise that they hiding back behind there. You know gotcha. what I'm saying? That's what we bring to the table. Mm, gotcha. I wouldn't learn it myself. I spent my years and figured it out. And my attorneys have a minimum of 15 years experience in their specialized area, That's right? Awesome. So we cover real estate, we cover corporate contracts, we cover fundraising. And then on the other side of the market, if you need it, we can handle litigation. Not my favorite, you know, I'm, I'm more of a deal maker, you know what I mean? But hey, even my deal makers, you know, there's gonna be some haters sometimes, right? <laughs> Things come up. So we got you on the protection side, but folks that are focused on, on growing their business, growing their portfolio, moving their ventures forward, um, and looking to do it with, you know, with, with a group of smart, nimble lawyers that, that are going to pay attention and be there for you and give you good value, um, then we're the right law firm. Awesome. Awesome. For sure. Anything in closing? No, man. Like I said, we definitely got to do a part two because when he was doing that, uh, I was like, we got to talk about AI and law next time Ooh. and how it's going to make y'all superhuman. Just y'all, we ain't gonna be no lawyers. Look, it's not gonna be that many lawyers left, y'all, when it's all said and done. 
You think so? I'm telling you. I, I like, think it's well, going to make you superhuman. What's gonna, yeah, but it's not going to be all superhumans, though. You know, True. it's not going to take as many. True. Right. You superhuman, you don't need as many to do True. it. So yeah. it's going to be some of the lower level stuff is going to be definitely driven by artificial intelligence. And we are right on the forefront of that. So I will be excited to talk to y'all about that next time and some of the work we're doing to develop that in our firm. Absolutely. Dope, yeah. dope, dope. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, again, Sean's information will be below. If you are interested in connecting with us, there is a link below, an email below where you can reach out. Maybe you want more information about what this podcast is doing, or maybe you want to be a sponsor. All that information is linked below, no matter what platform you're on. That's going to do it for this edition. Uh, we appreciate you guys. God bless you. Peace.